You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Houston, we have a podcast. You're listening to the Premier Rockets podcast. It's H-Town Hoops. Hosted by Brandon Scott and Adam Spolane. Hey, welcome back into the Ace Town Who's podcast here with Brandon Scott, Adam Spillane, Austin Mendez, handling things for us behind the scenes. And the last time we talked to y'all, it was fresh off the draft, fresh reaction to the Rockets taking Amon Thompson with the fourth overall pick in the draft and Cam Whitmore sliding all the way down to them at number 20, which came as a surprise to both of us. We were on Whitmore, what we, what we deemed, I should say, Whitmore watch around what the 10th once once he slid past the 10th or 12th pick we were officially on Whitmore watch so we gave you our live reaction to that but since then of course Adam Spillane has had a chance to talk or at least speak with the draft picks M.A. Udoka the head coach general manager Raphael Stone after they introduced them earlier this week and we will get into all of that but we when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Gotta lead the show off with the news that James Harden is gonna opt into his contract. And by the time you guys hear this, it will already have happened. But James Harden is expected to opt in to his contract with the Philadelphia with the Philadelphia 76ers, but be traded as well, which is the caveat and the surprise here. Because for me, Adam, and I want to get your thoughts on it, but my immediate thought was, and always has been actually, that. Harden back to the Sixers just made the most sense, even if it was an imperfect fit, even if it was a less than ideal fit, even if the Sixers didn't necessarily want to give Harden as much money as he was looking for, and even if Harden didn't necessarily want to play for the Sixers anymore. But in terms of fit and the potential there, to me, it just made the most sense. I always thought that he would go back there. This caveat that he's going to opt in and get traded to me probably means a number of things, but I'm interested in your thoughts on it because it did catch me off guard when I heard the news. Well, the first thing that I thought of is that I think the reason why we thought that Philly had to keep Harden was because if he leaves via free agency, then they're not getting anything back for him. So now at least this gives the Sixers an opportunity to get something back in return. And I do think that that that's important because with their cap situation, if they lose an asset like James Harden for nothing, they can't, you know, they're not, they aren't under the cap to where they could just replace him. So I, I think that this really works out well for Philly. 
because they can get off hard. You know, they don't, they no longer now have to worry about paying Harden when he's 34, 35, 36 years old. That's done. So now they can go get somebody that might be a better fit for their roster. And I think the first team that you think of is the Clippers. And I'm just kind of looking at their roster right now. And, and there are trades out there. I think that makes sense. Like, let's say, um, the, the Clippers, cause I, I think they have to get up to 30. I think they have to get up to 25, 26 million in order to make the contracts work. I mean, that's Norman Powell's at 18. And then, you know, the Sixers could go and take Covington or Batum, one of those guys, you know, that gets you there. So boom, you're right there. You're right at that number. And I think that's good for Philly. I think that helps Philly. I think that Philly and you know, Philly's had Covington before Daryl Morey has traded for Covington before. Um, so I think that makes sense for both sides. So I think that by the time that, you know, maybe the next 24, 48 hours, I think that James Harden will wind up being a member of the Sixers. I think, it, or excuse me, a member of the Clippers. I think it makes sense for both sides. Um, I'm, I'm, I can't believe it's come to this. You know, I, I kind of thought the whole point of him signing the two, you know, the one plus one last year was that it would get him back into the market where there was going to be more teams under the cap to pay him. But I think it kind of shows you, in a sense, he kind of miscalculated his worth around the league. Um, and we can get into that in a minute, but I just, it's, it's, it's a very surprising kind of turn for how James Harden's career has gone, where, you know, he went from mega star to having to take less money last year when he finally became a free agent for the first time in his career. And then I think he thought that I, I know he thought he was going to hit it big with another big free agent offer, um, this summer, and it's just not there. I think that he was expecting to get a four-year max, and I think it's quite apparent that that's just not there for him. Yeah, that, that's got to be the big takeaway, Adam. The fact that the opt-in, maybe the getting traded part is less surprising than the opt-in part. Uh, and, and, of course, they come together, right? It's a package deal sort of thing, or a package, package concept, I should say. But the opting in because you, you would assume, I, I think – I feel like the entire discussion that we've been having about this, Adam, has centered around or, or there we have operated under this assumption that, of course, he's going to opt out because this money is going to be there for him. And so when we say that he miscalculated his market, I also feel like I did as well or like we kind of did as a general public because there was this assumption that there would be this demand for him somewhere, if not in Houston, in Philadelphia. And then as it played out, it seemed like. And it seems like this way now that he became kind of a man without a country or at least like stuck in between the two sides of the player that that he is actually valued at by the league and the and the player that he thinks he is. And, and that's somewhere in between that's somewhere right about what he's going to what he's going to make in this opt in deal. You know what I mean? Like it, there was this belief that he was just going to be worth this money, you know, that this money was going to come there and. And we again, we operated under this assumption and it just was not there. That that to me has got to be the most shocking part of it. Yeah. And the guy who didn't give him the contract is the guy who basically owes him his career. I mean, right. Daryl Morey owes his career to James Harden. And if Daryl Morey isn't ready to to, you know, give you everything you want, then at some point he's got to kind of reevaluate just where he is and, and how he takes care of, him, you know, all that sort of stuff. Because I think that this should be kind of a rude awakening for him at this point. I mean, this is now two off seasons in a row where it just hasn't been there for him, you know, for whatever reason, the league just has not valued him. And think about this, you know, almost three years ago when he first asked for the trade from the Rockets, they offered him two years, 103 million. They offered him that extension. 
And obviously he didn't take it because I think the assumption always was, well, I don't have to take this because the money will be there in two years. When I do hit the market, it wasn't there. And so basically this two year, whatever it is, $68 million contract that he now is going to have to play through with the Sixers. It would have been two years, 103 with the Rockets. So he cost himself $35 million. He could have just signed that extension when they offered it to him and played out that first Silas year in 2020, 2021, and then asked for a trade and he'd have the money. He'd, he'd have 35 million more dollars and a whole lot more, you know, he would be in a whole lot different situation uh, now, that, but you know, that's just kind of, he miscalculated the whole situation and it, it's, it, he's still fine. You know, he's got plenty of money, but yeah, 35 million is 35 million. And well, then on, on top of it, Adam, think about it like this. Like it was, so, so what, what, what was it that he signed for two, two years and 68? Yeah, two years, sixty-eight. It might be sixty-eight point something. Yeah, but like, so let's just let's round up. Let's round up and just call it uh, two years, sixty-nine for 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 the thrill of it. And the the punchline here is they're going to end up, or let's say they might end up signing Fred Van Bleet yeah. for for two years, eighty. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's going to end up getting less than within a let's call it a two year two year span here. He's going to end up getting less than Fred Van Bleet in the market from the team that he was hoping to go to and the team where he made his name. And, and to your point that you just made earlier, not even getting it from uh, the money that he thought he was going to get from the one guy that's got the most belief and the most invested in his own legacy in this guy. Yeah. And also by opting in, he doesn't, you know, the Clippers won't have bird rights on him either next year. So they'll have early bird rights, but they won't have full bird rights because it's only a, you know, it's only the two-year contract. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's kind of an unfortunate turn for him. Um, I, I, I will be very interested once we move further along, why the money wasn't there from Philly, because I thought, I just always assumed that it would be, um, and just because they couldn't afford to, to lose him. But it's really, it's really just an interesting turn in a turn of events, because I think that he always knew he wanted the money but i think that he knew that okay if the sixers aren't there the rockets will be there and the rockets just weren't there for him so or at least that's the appearance right now so it's just a very interesting turn for how this is all shaped out because i thought it was i thought the money was going to be there for him i really did and you know this is now back to back off seasons where you know two years ago that after that first year with philly he was hurt and they didn't go there with him and you know, they kind of played it off as, well, he sacrificed a bunch of money so that they could sign P.J. Tucker and sign Daniel House and, and sign Montrez Harrell. Well, he took less money because there was, no, there was nothing else out there for him. So he really didn't have much of a choice. But the assumption would be that, oh, he'll just opt out and get the money the next summer. And here we are. And it just the market never materialized. And like you say, it, that's a really good point that you bring up. There are a lot of teams with cap space. And for whatever reason, none of those teams seem to be interested in James Harden. And, and I would be. He's got a, that's one of those things that I think that he needs to kind of now figure out, okay, well, why I've, I've accomplished all this stuff in my career. I've had one of the, I'm one of the best 75 players to ever play this game. I've won an MVP. I probably could have two more MVPs under my belt. If, you know, a vote here or a vote there changes, I could have, you know, I was the best player on a 65 win team that almost took out the best team of this generation uh, in the Western conference finals. Why is it not there for me? What am I doing wrong? What do I need to change in order to change, you know, whatever the narrative, the narrative is surrounding me. Before we move on to Kenya Martin Jr. and his option getting picked up, I do want to ask you about the Harden 
since we're on Harden, let's talk about this briefly from the Rockets angle. And, and I only bring it up because earlier in the day, so before this news comes out, I took the angle on Payne and Pender. So I'm filling in for Payne and, on Payne and Pendergast for Seth Payne. So I'm hosting with Sean Pendergast in the mornings from 6 to 10 a.m. for the week. And the take that I had this morning that I feel like age like, you know, like milk was that Harden saved the Rockets from himself from, from themselves by going back to the 76ers. He saved he perhaps saved the Rockets from overindulging a little bit in James Harden. I thought that there was reason to be interested in James Harden or reason for interest in James Harden. And I legitimately believe, and I think you and I agreed on this, that James Harden could help them from a basketball perspective. Now, the off-court stuff, the interpersonal stuff, the leadership stuff, I get why all of that stuff is question mark. I didn't, I, I didn't feel like I could speak to that as much as just to say, hey, him as a basketball player would be a plus for this team. But, I mean... For for me, I'm thinking, hey, if he's going to go back to Philly, and that was the thought at the time, hey, he's just going to go back to Philly, that saves the Rockets from perhaps overindulging in James Harden, maybe giving him too much money over too many years instead of just doing the, you know, the two-year thing like we talked about with Fred Van Bleed or the, the two-year thing that we thought would have been probably the best fit for James Harden if you were going to bring him back. <laughs> you know, my thought was, he saved the Rockets from themselves, but it turns out like the it's the exact opposite as we've just discussed here for the last 10 to 12 minutes or so. It, it, it's not that he saved the Rockets from themselves. It just turned out that this wasn't his market or what we thought his market was just turned out not to exactly be. So, you know, I saw some people giving credit to the Rockets for, for not doing exactly what I mentioned for not overindulging. But but what do you think about this? From a from a Rockets perspective, this whole Harden thing not materializing, whether it's a good thing and, and what the best pivot is, if that's even the right way to put it, depending on how how deep you thought the interest was to begin with. But but how how do you think about this from a Rocket standpoint? I think there was certainly interest, but I don't know if it was I, I, the word that I that I had somebody use to me in that front office was they were a little conflicted because right. I, I do think that they they wanted. Uh, they, like I said, they they were certainly interested in bringing him back, but at what cost? And so if if he was going to say, hey, I want a four-year max, I don't think there was any way that they were going to do that. I think that they kind of understood where he was and where they were as an organization. It really didn't make a whole lot of sense for them to go that route. Now, if he would have said two-year max, then I think the conversation changes. And I think, you know, you look at two-year max is essentially, it, it's not quite the, I think it's a little bit more than what we're, than what they might be going for with Fred Van Vliet, if that's the direction that they go in, it's you know it's it's put a stop much more. I think that is a little bit more feasible, and I, I don't think they wanted to go more. You're seeing a lot of two year contracts with them right now. They're, that's what they're kind of be, being linked to at this point. And part of it is, I don't know if they wanted to go above two years for a lot of these guys because that's when the the rookie extensions start to hit with Jalen Green and Alperin Shingun, and then all of a sudden, especially with the way that the new CBA is working out, and if you're kind of into that second apron and that can get a little scary both in the penalties um, both financially and and just how it kind of hamstrings you when you're building out your roster so that's why I it kind of feels like they're not going to go more than two years with a lot of these guys unless you know kind of depending on where the money is but so I, I think that they always in there I get this is kind of my way of saying I think always in their head as an organization they were never going to go to the four-year max route that I think some people might have been worried about I think for them, 
and I don't know if they would say this. I don't know if they would agree with this, but to me, it always kind of felt like it's two years and that's it. That's all we're willing to go is just the two years. You know, maybe we can talk about a third, but then the, you know, but then the money, the first two years would have to be a little bit less. So I would be, you know, once this is all said and done and once this gets wrapped up and once a trade to wherever happens, whether it's the Clippers or Phoenix or, or wherever, I think we'll start to get a better feel of what the Rockets were willing to, at the number that the Rockets were willing to go to and what Harden in the end was demanding. But it, it it does come off a little bit strange, and it might just show you that the Rockets' interest just completely fell off the table by the fact that he just took the 30, you know, the 35.6 or whatever it is for next year. And it's going to be hard for him to probably make much more than that if he does get another contract. So to me, it made a whole lot more sense for him to just take a two-year deal somewhere, whether it's Houston or somewhere else. But, you know, that's so it, it kind of feels like that maybe just that two year offer from the Rockets might have been off the table. And then I wonder how much changed just after the lottery. You know, did were they kind of all in on Harden and then, you know, they wound up with the fourth pick instead of the first pick or the second pick or the third pick. And then maybe they felt like their need changed. So it's it's a really interesting. Like I said, it's a very interesting turn of events because this is not something that I would have expected to happen when we start. We've been talking about this since December. You know, I don't think if I don't think if we did this on Christmas, I don't think there's any way that I thought that we would be here six months later. Yeah. You know, one thing that's interesting for me about it, Adam, is like thinking back on it, especially like being here now and we're on the record already, like both both you and I as guys who were able to rationalize and make sense of James Harden coming back to the Rockets, how the fit could work and why it could make sense, even like despite all of the noise around, there's a lot of noise around it that didn't have a lot to do with like reality that what that didn't seem baked in reality now we ended up with a totally different reality here now as we're discussing but but one thing that i'm thinking about uh, uh, perhaps a miscalculation on my on my part that i'm still trying to think through is the fred van vliet dynamic and how you know uh, eventually i had to talk myself into the reality that they were going to overpay for somebody and, and still are going to overpay for somebody. We just don't necessarily know who it is yet as we record this podcast, but that's what this market is going to look like. It's not a super impressive free agent market, but the money is there and guys are available. And there are guys that can, that you could bring in that, that could help you win that immediately raise your floor, your, your ceiling and your floor, but certainly your floor. And we've talked about this a lot, that it's a year about at minimum, minimum floor at the very least raising your floor right so so that's where you're at and then fred van vliet kind of my point on that is like maybe maybe that was always a better fit all along even if the money even if we just concede that the idea of paying fred van vliet 35 40 million 40 plus million dollars a year sounds a little bit outrageous for with respect to fred van vliet and what he's accomplished in his career he's a solid really really good player with $45 million, like we, we've reached that place in the economy, in this economy, in this basketball economy where Fred Van Bleet can command that kind of money. But in a lot of ways, even after the lottery, considering that, like it's a guy that makes a lot of sense for like for a transition period. Fred Van Bleet can be very useful to you under a two-year deal in the first two years of an Amon Thompson. So maybe it's all of that, right? You, you know, you lose out on the lottery. It looks like you're going to land a point guard, a really good point guard at number four in Thompson. And maybe it's good to have him play behind a Fred Van Bleet, who's only around for a couple of years. And by the time those couple of years are over with, 
maybe Amon Thompson is actually ready to be your full-time point guard since he's already projected to be your point guard of the future as a number four overall pick. So, so I, my point is, I wonder if I, because James Harden is who he is, and we understand James Harden's a better basketball player than Fred Van Vliet. I'm not breaking news to anybody there. But maybe because of that, I overlooked the possibility or the, the idea that Fred Van Vliet could be a better, or somebody like, it doesn't have, I'm, I'm using Fred Van Vliet as the example, but somebody other than James Harden, let's just say, and Fred Van Vliet is just the name that's out there. But maybe that made a lot more sense than Harden all along. Uh, I don't know. That, that's, a, that's a good question. I think it's hard to... I, I think the Harden stuff was kind of front and center because it, it's one thing to have cap space, but it's another reason. It, it's a whole other thing to get somebody to take the cap space. And, and so you see it all the time where these teams have cap space, but it's hard to get somebody to take it. Whereas Harden was the guy that would actually be interested in coming here. You know, he obviously has the ties to the organization. And when you're coming off of winning 42 games, you know, 42 combined games over actually they've won 59 games the last three years. So you would kind of think, hey, it might be hard to get free agents to come here, you know, when you've only won 59 games in a three year span. But when you have a guy who has played here before, likes the city, uh, you know, cares about the organization, then that's why I think Harden was kind of in the forefront. And I never thought I'll be honest, I never really thought that Van Vliet was any sort of an option to come here, you know, just because he has no ties to the organization. He has no ties to the city. Why would he be interested in coming to a team that has won 59 games over the last three years, aside from the money? But yeah, that that, that was, that was going to be the thing I was going to mention. The, 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 uh, the, the the absurdity that I was talking about earlier of paying Fred Van Bleep 40 plus million dollars, obviously, you know, in theory, maybe he could get that in Toronto, but, but that's the thing. Like maybe we just didn't give enough credit to how much the money could lure a guy and, and and say hey maybe i still could get maybe i could money with this guy and tell him hey we're gonna make you you know a, a very important part of you know phase two of our rebuild as has been coined in the at, at toyota center especially if the money is not there from anybody else and so you know if the money's not there from toronto then you have to go somewhere else to get it um so yeah it's and it's not you know it's all these it's all these guys um because that's the one thing about free agency is that most cases with the you know you're gonna have to overspend you know you're you're paying somebody for what he has done not what he will do that's essentially what free agency is and so uh, whether it's van vliet or anybody else there are very few basketball players who are worth that sort of money van vliet is not one of those guys who's worth that sort of money but that's just the going rate and that's just something that you have to do and you know for them if they can get it if they can do two years hey that's fine you know you can get away with two years and also don't forget you know, you, you play out this next season and then all of a sudden you're a $40 million expiring contract, which can be used in a lot of different things. You know, whether you're trying to chase after a star, whether it be a guy in Boston, whether it's a guy in Milwaukee who wants out or a guy, you know, all, all these possibilities start to open up. And that that's part of, you know, why free agency is important. It's not just about how the guys can help you on the floor, but you also need to have those contracts. If you are trying to swing big trades that might help you land a bigger fish down the road. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
All right, so I think that's a good segue into our next topic because K.J. Martin, looks like K.J. Martin's team option is going to get picked up, or maybe a better way to say that is that the Rockets are going to pick up K.J. Martin's option. I think it's $1.9 million. Yes. That's correct. One, they have picked it up. It is. They, it, it, yeah, that's, that's right. They did send out the release. So it's my mistake. So, yeah, it, it is It is official. It's actually beneficial for a little while now. So, K.J. Martin's $1.9 million option has been picked up by the team. I want to get I want to let you have this one because I think it I think there's a couple of different directions we could go here, whether it means he's going to like what what do you does this mean he's going to play out the year or is he still a prime trade? Can, it feels like he's still a prime trade candidate to me. He is, but I can also see him playing out the year. Yeah. They, they have they have a lot of different options with him. Um, you know, it, had they declined the option, he could have been a restricted free agent. So think of remember Chandler Parsons back in 2014. Yeah, Chandler Parsons. Uh, the the Rockets declined. They basically signed very similar contracts. So had the Rockets uh, picked up Chandler Parsons uh, the last year of his contract as a second round pick in 2014, he would have been an unrestricted free agent the next summer. Instead, uh, the Rockets declined it, kind of hoping that they would be able to get some sort of a deal done with Parsons in restricted free agency. Dallas came in over the top, offered him a big contract. The Rockets just declined uh, to match the offer sheet, so they had to let him go. So that was kind of the boat that the Rockets were in. Now, again, they they do have options with Martin because they can let him play it out if they want. You know, They can let him play out the season. He can go into unrestricted free agency. They could work out an extension with they still can work out an extension like they can still get that done um but they were pressed up against the clock and so obviously i i imagine the team and martin entered into some sort of extension talks before they decided to pick up the option and if there was no deal hey there's no deal uh, but you still have time as the season goes along uh to try and work something out now if they can't i, I do think that martin is a prime trade target just because one of the big thing, one of the big uh, hurdles of getting some trades done at the deadline or before the deadline or whenever, it's that you have to try and make the money match up. Well, KJ Martin will be making one point nine million dollars next season. It's very easy to match that up. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to throw in a bunch of you know big contracts in order to make that work. Um, as you know, for the Rockets, they don't have to try and take on you know a ten million dollar contract in order to make that work. So it makes it very easy to trade somebody like that, and it and it just gives you more and more options, you know, instead of, you know, we saw this with Eric Gordon, uh, there might've been four teams that could have fit that, that had the the contracts to make an Eric Gordon trade work uh, back last February. That's, that won't be the case with KJ Martin. You can go basically every team in the league, all 29 teams will be able to find a way to fit KJ Martin, you know, into some sort of a trade. So the Rockets will have a lot of, uh, there will be a lot of options that the Rockets would have, whether it's, Right now, before the start of the season, during the season, before the deadline, if they choose to, if they decide that they want to trade Martin. And, you know, we, we talked about this at the deadline last year. They're not going to just give him away. You know, I know there's kind of this stigma. Well, he's a second round pick. You know, he was the whatever, the 52nd pick of the draft. You know, they'll just give him away for a couple second rounders and be done with it. No, that's not how they view him. They view him as a guy who, if you did that draft over again, he'd be picked in the top 10. And we did and do that draft over we, again. We did, and and yeah. I think we were. I think we said maybe. I think you might have taken six guys ahead of KJ Martin. You know, I don't know if that would change now, six months later. But that that's kind of like what you're looking at. Yeah. And so, guys like that, 
you know, those guys are, are premium type players. I don't think that KJ Martin is a star. I don't think he'll ever be an all-star, but he can clearly play on a good team. He can be a part of a championship level team, either as like a fourth or fifth option or, you know, one of your, your, your league guys coming off the bench. So I, I do think that they will have, you know, if they want to trade him, there will be plenty of teams that will be willing to give up something for him. Um, now the, the other question is, well, why would the Rockets want to trade him then? And part of it is just some positional redundancy. Yeah. You, know, you, you look at the position that he plays and, you know, Jabari Smith can play the three or the four, you know, Martin can play the three, four, five, and Jabari Smith can play those, those positions. Tari Eason can play those positions. Jay Sean Tate can play those positions. Uh, I think that they probably think Cam Whitmore, maybe not the four or the five, but he can at least play one of the wings. So you get into a little bit of, bit of a positional redundancy. They will probably sign somebody uh, to play the wings, to play a wing once you get into free agency. So there's some redundancy that, that comes into play there. So that's why I think that somebody like that would be available to other teams, you know, at some point. Yeah, the last part of it, the positional redundancy that you mentioned was actually what I was going to ask you about because w- what I'm what I'm trying to key in on here is where where should KJ Martin fit within this Rockets young core, you know, this Rockets ecosystem of young players now that they've accumulated because I think that he's right there among them of the most when you talk about guys that aren't going to be an all-star and they're like ideal for their roles or ideal as role players, that's what most of these guys are. I think the only guy that we're talking about, you know, we'll see with Cam Whitmore, obviously he had the the draft slide, but again, we're talking about a different sort of a different scale there. Cause he's more of just a, a three and maybe a small ball four because of his strength, maybe, but not, not really doesn't really give you the length to do that. It does give you the athleticism to do that similar to KJ Martin. That's probably the biggest positional redundancy or or player profiles, right? Like Cam Whitmore, I feel like, and I love KJ. I think he's he's been fantastic over these last few years. But Cam Whitmore kind of projects as like a better version of KJ Martin. You know, like like uh, like well, you know, like I I think he's got a little bit more, you know, in, in his offensive bag, but a, but a similar athlete. You think that's maybe a stretch? I think the the big difference is that. Um, I don't know if Whitmore can play like the four or the five. Yeah, that's fair. That's and fair. and I do think that, I mean, hell, KJ was basically a, a power. You know, he's basically, I think, a four and five when he first came into the league, and then he kind of then he kind of developed into being able to play the three. So there's a so I think they're in. Listen, Whitmore is you know very very young, so he can kind of be, develop this kind of the same way that yeah. Martin developed. But so I do think that right now at at 22. Martin has a little bit more versatility in him than Whitmore does at, you know, 19, 20, whatever he is right now. And and also I I do think one reason why you might want to keep Martin, at least for the start of the season. And and part of that to me is just that he knows what he's doing and having guys who know what they're doing, I think is valuable, especially on a team that is full of 19, 20, 21 year olds who have been in the league for one or two years, at least, you know, Martin's been in the league for three years and, you know, he was kind of the guy who um, would try and figure stuff out on the fly, you know, with these guys on the floor. So I, I do think that there is some value there. But, you know, if they get blown away by an offer, then you kind of have to take it. Yeah. Yeah. That that That's where I'm at with it. And kind of to bring it back, like I I am I would I would support the idea of keeping KJ. I think KJ Martin is a player that could help any team rebuilding in the mud. 
trying to contend. He's that kind of player. That That's why I think there's going to be value there. And it's really a steal to have gotten him in the second round and, and a steal to be able to pay him $1.9 million this year in a year where we feel like we can confidently say that in a redraft, he would be a lottery pick. I guess my thing with Cam Whitmore was less so of maybe it was a bad thing to make the, make more of a player comparison. It's more just the athleticism. But I do think Cam Whitmore has perhaps more potential at doing one thing or being one specific kind of thing than maybe as compared to K.J. Martin as a jack of all trades. Like K.J. Martin can do a lot of things really good where Cam Whitmore might be able to do a very more specific thing like really, really well at, at maybe a higher level. But but aside from that, though, I still think that you could that you could benefit from keeping K.J. Martin. And, and really my overall point on this, Adam, is to say, like, I, I look at. We can even just, you know, make this turn this into some of the free agency talk or some of the free agents. I look at some of the free agents that people talk about and, and that are linked to the Rockets. And I think about, you know, Dylan Brooks's name comes out there. And I saw Kyle Kuzma's name come out there. And we, we've we thrown around some of these names already. I think I want to say we've thrown out pretty much every name that you could at this point because we already knew who the free agents were going to be. The only difference now and what makes it more timely and relevant is that we have a better sense for what the team is going to look like because we know the players that they've drafted and we have a pretty good sense for James Harden not being there, right? So I, I think about, you know, them talking about a guy like, uh, like like Kyle Kuzman, a guy like Dylan Brooks, who Dylan Brooks, I'm I'm completely out on, even though I understand the appeal of him as a player, as a defender. But I'm like, man, you've got all of these wings that are young and have potential. KJ Martin, you might trade, but then what if you don't? What if you want to keep KJ Martin and you've got some hodgepodge of young players that's got KJ Martin in it, and, and and you're good with the with the free agent picks or with the free agent uh, slide there, Austin. But you got KJ Martin. Uh, you've got Jabari Smith, you know, uh, some variation of a three, four, five combo, right? KJ Martin, Jabari Smith, Tari Eason, Cam Whitmore. And then, of course, you've got Alperin Shingun that plays the five that can play the four and play with Jabari Smith here and there, you know, or, and I know they started together. So it's like you've got this combination of guys. I don't. I don't know when I look, and then of course you've got wings too, obviously with Jalen Green and, and, and Kevin Porter Jr. on the team. Like, I'm thinking, what, what do you do? You really need Dylan Brooks? Like, I, I, I'm not sure if a wing is like the best target. I know they said they weren't looking at specific positions, but how would you prioritize this thing? Is what I'm asking. Like, is there should it even be about hey, let's look at bigs, let's look at point guard. Uh, or or should it be more about, hey, let's just look at the best players? Because that's how I looked at it. You know, I kind of got some flack for saying I'd rather have Kyle Kuzma over Dylan Brooks. but and, and I get that Dylan Brooks is a better defender than Kyle Kuzma, but Kyle Kuzma is just a better overall player than Dylan Brooks to me. So I, I didn't think that that was a ridiculous take. But but how, how would you prioritize this thing? Like, how should the Rockets be approaching this after finding out exactly who they're going to draft or who they've drafted and, and kind of understanding now that the Harden thing has kind of passed us by. So I think I look at it, I think I look at it this way. I would value adults, guys who you can count on and rely on and who you know are going to be good people, both in your locker room and on the floor. And you don't have to worry about, you know, they're going to be mature adults because on this team, I think they, they really need that. And they need smart players who are going to be able to, to help in that regard. So I think that's first and foremost. 
then I do think you get into some positional stuff. I do think that they need a point guard. They need to add a point guard. Some, I don't know if it necessarily has to be a guy who can start, but they need someone who can be one of their top two point guards. So whether it's come in and you know start in front of Kevin Porter Jr. and let Porter come off the bench or have Kevin Porter Jr. start and go find a backup for him, I think that that is important. And then I, I do think that they need to add a big um, – what you know, whether it's a starter, whether it's somebody they, they need a defensive presence, I think, at that position. That doesn't mean that Alperin Shindun can't play for you at all, but for you know, it, it's very difficult to defend at a high level when you don't have a presence defensively at that position. It's just very, very difficult. And the guys that they had out there playing the five most of the time last year, we're talking Shingun, not a presence on that end of the floor. Usman Garuba could do a, could do some things, but he's undersized for that position. So he's not somebody that you're really worried about. So they need to go get somebody who can be a, uh, a threat, I guess, defensively at the five. And then the third thing that I'm looking at is shooting. If you can shoot, come on down. If you can't shoot, we're good. So the, yeah. whole, so the Dylan Brooks thing, I, I don't, you know, they have enough guys who can't shoot. Like, thank they, you. They, they Adam. Have, my man, that, this is why you are my guy. I'm like, okay, am I am I crazy here that we want to? And, and, and give me a, allow me a moment here, Adam, because this Dylan Brooks thing. I'm like, okay, I understand that Rockets fans are desperate for you know uh, pl- players that they know have played meaningful ba- meaningful basketball and some winning basketball, and we've seen Dylan Brooks in some key moments. I, I get it, and he's been a productive player. I get it. But Dylan Brooks, two things about him, can't shoot and doesn't necessarily have the self-awareness or doesn't seem to have the self-awareness to understand that or to know that. To, to be a guy who's coming off of a team with Ja Morant and Desmond Bain on it, okay, two proven guys in this league, and to think that he deserved the number of shots that he thought he deserved on that team, imagining him coming to this Rockets team and thinking that he's going to take a back seat and that he's just going to be some defender and that he's not going to feel entitled to a bunch of shots that he shouldn't be taking. I don't, I don't understand like if people haven't been paying attention or watching this guy play or paying attention to his get down, but it's, it's, it's not that Dylan Brooks can't play. It's just that I don't, I don't know. I don't know if he is even, if he's even a better option necessarily than just developing some of the guys that you have, like you've got guys on your team that project to be, perhaps as good as Dylan Brooks or, or or maybe some reasonable facsimile or maybe close to it. Like I'm perfectly fine with Dylan Brooks not taking minutes from Tari Eason or from Cam Whitmore or from guys like that. Even if I would concede that today, right now, he's a better player than them. Like I th- thank you for saying that the part about the fact that he does not shoot well. And this is a team that did not last time I checked shoot well. Here would be, and I agree with what you just said, but here would be my other concern, I guess, with Dylan Brooks. When the team that drafts you and develops you, when they basically announce right after the season that they're not bringing you back, they're, they, they need, they're not even entertaining the idea of bringing Dylan Brooks back. That should that should raise a whole bunch of red flags right there. The, the team that knows you best said, nope, we're good. We aren't even going to talk about bringing you back. That, sh- that should – that's all the red. Those are all the red flags that I need. The team that knows him best basically told you it's not worth it. And so for me, 
he's a he's a fine defender. Um, you know, they kind of I guess they need somebody like that on their roster, I guess, but his holes match what their holes are. And so to me, it just it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. That that's just that's to me. Um, but we'll see what they decide to do. Um I, I needs to say the whole Dylan Brooks thing has been surprising just their reported interest in him. So that, that is a direction that that's a move that I would stay away from. And plus hell the people in, in Memphis who cover him are like, Hey, we're good. You know, you, you guys can have him. Yeah. And so I, when, when the, when, again, when, when the, when the people that know the guy best are just ready to move on, that tells you everything you need to know. All right. So since we're talking about free agents and, and, Rockets free agency, and we've been talking about it for a while. But like I mentioned, okay, what's different now is that we have a better sense for the makeup of this team. Man, I wish I had that notebook where I was scribbling down. I got in a really nerdy mode. We had, we didn't do this podcast as early as we had planned to earlier in the week, but I have been like scribbling notes of lineups and rotations and who's left. And, and since we mentioned it, we didn't get to this news item, but along with the KJ Martin extension, or I'm sorry, not extension, but picking up his option, I should say. They uh they also decided to to cut to cut ties with uh with Dacian Nix. We should mention that at the very least. And and I say that to to kind of bring us back into our free agency conversation. What would you say? Let's just do it like this. Is there a I, I won't call it a wish list because I, I don't think we have like like we really like care what they do. We're just gonna see it and evaluate it for whatever they do. But if you if you would, were prioritizing free agents and even understanding that it takes two to tango, you can't, you know, you can't just make a guy come here, right? You can't just make somebody uh, be on the team. But in my mind now, I, I've made it to where, I don't know, when we were having this discussion weeks ago, I didn't necessarily need no Fred Van Vliet. I was good on that. And, and Brooke Lopez, I was sort of you know indifferent about uh but but now i'm all of a sudden like really really high on i'm like i think dylan uh, i'm sorry I, I think uh i think brooke lopez could help the rockets a great deal um i pose this question on twitter Let, let's let's do it like this i pose this question on twitter if if the rockets don't get and we already seem to understand that they're not gonna probably not gonna end up with james harden but if the Rockets don't get, let's say, James Harden, and I'm, I'm making this my, you know, let's call them the top three free agents that they could have gotten. James Harden, Fred Van Vliet, and Brooke Lopez. What what direction do they go in with this money? It, whether it be, and, I, and, and with that question, I said, keep in mind trades as an as another way to take on salary or to bring in players to, or taking on salary as another way to uh you know to to maneuver here what is the route if they don't get say the ideal free agent target is there still a way uh my point is i, I feel like while this isn't a free agent class that has that's that's super top heavy that has that star that you just gotta go get it does feel like there's some depth here of at least players that can help you play winning basketball. And as you and I have talked about a lot on this podcast, start to play more meaningful games. How would you approach that? So I think that you, you absolutely have to go after a point guard. So if you miss out on Van Vliet and Harden, uh, I, I would hope that they don't take the meeting with Kyrie Irving, but we'll have to wait and see on that. Then I, there are other point guards that you can go to. I think Gabe Vincent would help them 
I think that he he could be somebody that you could target. Obviously, it would not certainly cost as much as somebody like Van Bleet, but I do think that's somebody that you could look at. Um, if you wanted to go a little bit cheaper, Pat Beverly, Austin Rivers, guys like that, again, they're not – those aren't sexy moves. Those aren't moves that are going to put you over the top, but those are professionals who know how to play. And, again, that's also what they need. So not only do they need good players, they need guys who can simply help them. So I, I don't think that they – if they miss out on all their top targets – they don't have to go and spend all that money. Like you can, like you said, you can use that cap space for other things. Um, if they miss out on Lopez, I, I, I really like Jakob Pertl. Um, he he is not a sexy player. He does nothing sexy on the floor. He is not going to blow you away with anything. But he is a pain defensively. Like he is just going. He's just in the way. He is always in the way, and they know it because they played yep, him. Yep, yep. Years. When he was with the Spurs, we just Rockets fans should know, and, and the Rockets themselves should know that firsthand, right? He, he is going – he is a – he's not a shot blocker per se, but he is a rim protector. He is Plays big. Plays yeah. big is probably the best way to put it. And he I think he's a little bit more skilled than people give him credit for. So if you don't get Brooklyn – and he's not going to – he's not going to shoot. I mean, I, I guess that's kind of the one thing that you miss with him is that he's not the shooter that somebody like Brook Lopez is. But, man, he's a whole lot younger. And so I think that you kind of have – you know, if you need defense on that end of the floor, then that's somebody that you could really that could be helpful. I don't know if he could play with Shingun, but you know, you try and figure that whole thing out later. So somebody like so somebody like Pirtle, I mentioned, you know, Gabe Vincent. Who, uh, if you really want to, you know, save some money, then you go the Rivers and and Pat Beverly route. I think Rivers for sure would probably be interested in coming here. Um, so there are other ways that you can spend your money, but but then you can also be a little bit, you know. You can be predators with the cap space and there are going to be teams who are going to be looking to get off of contracts and you can help those teams out. Like we're talking about Philly trading Harden. Well, what if they want to create cap space by trading Tobias Harris? You know, that, that would make some sense for them to where, Hey, maybe you do KJ Martin for Tobias Harris and a future first round pick, mm. you know, that if you're, if you're the Rockets, you might be able to hold out and get a little bit more, but it makes sense for Philly because they get off the the Tobias Harris contract. They also get a trade exception. And so they create a little bit of cap space. They get the trade exception. And so now they have a few more ways to make their team better. So there are going to be teams that either are trying to create, you know, like the Knicks with Evan Fournier, you know, Evan Fournier is not going to help the Rockets, but if you can, you know, if you can carve him into your cap space and get a couple, get a first round pick or maybe a couple first round picks or an asset here, an asset there, then again, that's a way to use your cap space moving forward. So spending the money. Yeah, that that's certainly an option, but there are more ways to skin this cat. You can do, there are, you have you know the 66 million or whatever it's going to turn out being, you have so many options with that. If you do miss out on, on your target. So if you don't get Fred Van Vliet, you know, that doesn't mean you have to go pay $80 million for two years for the next point guard on the list. You know, you can be a little bit more creative with this. So it, my, my, I guess my fear with them would be they feel like that they have to spend the money. You don't have to spend it. It's good to spend it because you need to get better next season, but be smart about the way that you spend it. Am I crazy for having already envisioned them playing? I feel like they could play winning basketball with Fred Van Bleet and Brooke Lopez. And I know I asked you about what should they do if they can't get those guys, but I want to kind of explain why I've sort of sold myself on that fit. It's because, first of all, with Fred Van Bleet, I think he's, you know, a professional winning point guard, perhaps not worth 40 plus million dollars, but 
worthwhile on your team nonetheless like like worthy of having on your team can get you double can get you close to 20 points a game and, and certainly run your offense and is an adult in the room and brings that that leadership would would fit i think the exact type of culture and set the exact type of tone that this team either is or at the very least should be trying to set so i'm all for that that's that that that's the thing with fred van vliet but then with brooke lopez i was able to sell myself on that too because i do think he could play with alperin shingun you know i've seen a lot of conversation of hey, I don't know if I'm interested in Brooke Lopez unless he's willing to come off the bench and I wouldn't be feeling comfortable watching Alperin Shingun come off the bench behind Brooke Lopez. And I don't think Brooke Lopez would be comfortable coming behind, coming off the bench for Alperin Shingun and all of this kind of stuff. And I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But I don't, I'm not like super opposed to those, to those guys at times at least being on the floor together. The issue comes where, like neither of those guys do you really want doing a whole bunch of garden on the perimeter. And so, you know, ideally they would be guarding the same guy. So who do you hide and how do you hide them? Right. Like the, it becomes a numbers game defensively of, Hey, they just probably can't play together defensively, even if they work beautifully together offensively. But that's the part of it. I've been able to sell myself on is, you know, Shingun in the high post or in the low post or just doing Shingun things and then Brooke Lopez just kind of hanging out uh, at the basket, uh, you know, finding himself around the rim, uh, putbacks, just being big. Brooke Lopez has always done a good job of being very tall and shooting. And then on the defensive side, he can be, you know, he can be your big, but then what exactly are you doing with Shingun? Because normally you hide him on a big or, you know, a, 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 an ineffective wing, or hopefully there's a four out there that's not a score. It just doesn't really work defensively, really. It's kind of harder to do. But I still sold myself on it anyway. Am I, am I crazy? Am I ridiculous to think that these guys could at least in spots play together? And at the very least, maybe, tell me this. This is another part of the question, a branch off the question. Jabari Smith is kind of a wild card here. Like, how versatile is he exactly? Like, is he a guy that can really play at a high level all the way from the wing, from, you know, from three to five, you know, or is he really just a, a four, small ball five? How much three can he play? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm I'm, I'm wondering if, if he is as versatile of a defender as you hope he is, and then Brooke Lopez can guard your big, I don't know. Maybe there's a way to hide Shingun defensively. I've tried to I've tried to do some mental gymnastics with this to make this work. Am I crazy or not? I, I do on the second question. I do think that Jabari probably can guard. I don't know if he can guard ones and twos, but I do think he can guard threes. I think that he. I, I think athletically he he can do that. Um, and you know you could probably switch him onto ones and twos if you need to. So I, I don't think that's out of the questions where he could be like a big three. I think that that could actually work out. I don't know about Shingun and Lope. I, I've been thinking about this. I don't know if those two can coexist on the yeah. floor together. Yeah. Um, to me, I, I can see it where you have Shingun kind of in the post and you have Lopez there to space the floor. I, I think that that's kind of Lopez's. Uh, you probably work a little bit better offensively because you saw it work offensively in Milwaukee where you kind of had Giannis as the, as the big four in the post and, you know, and Lopez is there to, to spread the floor. But the problem that you have with that is Shingun isn't very good at finding shooters. And this is something that we've talked about in the past where, you know, he's a very good passer, but he doesn't necessarily find three point shooters. And so that's one area of his game 
that he really has to work on. Um, I don't know. Defensively, I don't know. Yeah, it looks I, rough. I it, admit it. It's it, rough. It, it worked in Milwaukee, but that's because Giannis was there. Right. You know, let's be honest. There's a bit of a gap defensively in between Giannis and Shingun at this point. Now that could always change, but I, I don't see it changing all that much. But so do you I, see? But do you see what I'm saying though? If the gap changes, and look, I'm not putting on Jabari to be Giannis, but that's kind of what I was getting at. There is like, if the if there's less of a gap between. Giannis and Jabari, is there a is there a different way to is there a more creative way to hide Shingun if if, if Jabari can do the things that you want Shingun to do? Probably no, not. Teams are still gonna find him. And then I just worry about the foot speed angle of it too. Yeah. yeah. Because you're you're kind of gonna have like Lopez is a great defender, but he's kind of a grounded defender, just yeah. really good at being big. So I, I just I, I I find it hard to believe that, especially you know if they play against teams that play big, like I can see that working. But if they're going to play against teams that play more traditional or teams that play small, it's really hard for me to believe that those two could share the floor together and survive defensively. You can give it a shot, and maybe you take advantage of teams on the other end of the floor, so that maybe you're not giving up that much. But I think that it would be it would be a little clunky, especially in the beginning. Like you would, there would be some growing pains early on with that sort of a lineup. But hey, that's why you do it, and you have time to experiment with it. So who knows? Yeah, and then worst come to worst, one of those guys comes off the bench. Like that's another thing. It's as much as one of the guys. Yeah, or or that, and again, as much as I like Shingun and as accomplished as Brooke Lopez is. Can we be real for a second and acknowledge that neither one of those guys should be above coming off the bench for the other? Like I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think that that's that that's absurd. I get the investment in Shingun and wanting to instill the confidence in him, and maybe that's maybe it's a logical take to think, okay, well, only Brook Lopez if he's willing to come off the bench. But like I don't, I just, I just don't feel like it's a like we're talking about that as respected as these two guys are they're plus players i don't think we're talking about that level of player that you know it it matters which one of those guys were to start and really what would matter was which one of those guys fits better at the end of the game which one of those guys helps you win at the end of the game and and that's what it would ultimately come down to but but yeah to uh, the the point being there is Worse come to worse, okay, then they can't play together and let one of the guys come off the bench, but they would both play significant minutes. It would be it'd be a lot better than, let's be honest, it'd be a lot better than, you know, Garuba and Bruno Fernando being your your backup bigs. You know, uh, either either if you were to put Shingun on the bench or if you were to put uh have Brooke Lopez and come off the bench, because he'd still play significant minutes. You know, he and and he'd st- and he'd still be able to uh, you know to be able to come in there and perhaps. At times, because uh, because Shingun's going to need to be spelled, you know, so it's not like he wouldn't like he wouldn't play at all. The only thing is, if I'm Brooke Lopez and I was the starting center on a championship team a couple years ago, and yeah. I'm starting center on a team on the team that finished with the best record in the NBA, and I've accomplished what I've accomplished in the league, I'm not going to a team that has won 59 games in the last two years and playing behind a 20 year old center. Yeah, in the second year, I'm not I'm not I'm not coming off the bench for that. Yeah. Oh, well, it, it it would only have to be if they money whipped him, right? Like, there's. Like I don't. I, I don't even. I don't even think that he would say, "Hey, I'm uh, I'm coming off. I'm you could you could give me a full a four year max. I'm still not coming off the bench. I don't care, because there's you know there's probably you know, hell they you know they were starting Daniel Tice, you know they signed Daniel Tice and basically guaranteed him a starting spot 
when they signed him. And Daniel Tice hadn't accomplished nearly what you know Brooke Lopez has accomplished over the course of his career. So okay, I, so, so since you're making this point, let me ask you this then. I, I'm glad you're you're making that point. Let me ask you this before we get into the rookies. We're gonna talk about the rookies and we're gonna get out of here. But let me ask you this then on Shingoon. Let's get uncomfortable for a second. Since the guy's not a two-way player, since he doesn't really play, and and hopefully he improves on defense, and I think he's made some strides, and and we'll see how things go in year three. But since the guy isn't a two-way player, he's just kind of a really unique offensive player and really fascinating offensive player in in a lot of ways, especially on a team that hasn't had a lot to, to cling to. Let's just put it that way. Is he is he is he above coming off the bench? Is he is, 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 is he above being benched for Brooke Lopez? Is Brooke Lopez is as accomplished as you mentioned? Like you you didn't say anything incorrect. Brooke Lopez is a champion. Brooke Lopez has played winning basketball for a very long time. Brooke Lopez plays on both ends of the floor. Why exactly? As much as I like Shingun, why why exactly would he be above coming off the bench for for Brooke Lopez? He shouldn't be. I mean, and I think that was one of the mistakes that they made last year was basically saying, you're our starting center. And what happened? He came into camp out of shape and he wasn't ready to play. And he was so bad that they started Bruno Fernando over him the first two games of the season until Fernando got hurt. So I don't think there, and this was a point that Ime Udoka made on Monday. Like we're not just handing out minutes anymore. Like you got to actually earn your minutes at this point. And so that goes to me, that goes for everyone. And if you are Alperin Shingun, and I, I, this is the thing that I am most interested in seeing once we get into September and the start of training camp, I want to see what type of shape Alperin Shingun is when training camp starts, because this was his issue last year. And we haven't talked about it on this podcast. I've talked about it on other podcasts. Um, he wasn't ready to play. Like he came into camp, not ready to play. And he was bad, like flat out. And we, I, we, we've I, definitely we've definitely talked about that on this podcast. But but and, and when I say he was bad, I'm I'm like selling it short, like how okay. bad he was. And so that's why he did not start. That's why he was coming off the bench to start the season. The hope is that he learned his lesson from that, and he come. You know, I don't think he has any national team commitments. You know, um, Turkey did not make the World Cup. I don't know if they have any role. I don't I don't know if they have any like Olympic qualifiers or anything. You know that he has to do with the national team. But that's not going to take up a whole lot of his time this summer. So there is no excuse for him to not be in Houston when training camp starts ready to go. And we, I talked about this with him back in April, right before the end of the season. He understands how important this season is for him. Because if you have a great year three, then you set yourself up for that next contract. And I think he knows that. So I want to see him ready to play when the season starts. And then once we actually get into games, I need to see him be better, like just flat out. And I know he does some stuff that a lot of people like, and he does some stuff that's really good on the basketball floor and he could be a winning player, but you see all, I I see, I, I see all the Jokic comparisons and I have ever since he got here, ever since that first summer league game. Like I remember talking to KJ Martin after their very first summer league game in 2021 and we're starting the the Jokic comparisons. It's not Jokic. It's just not like he Jokic does the dirty work. And that's the stuff that Shingu needs to do. Can we get in a defensive stance 75% of the time? Can we can we do that? 
That's what I need to see from Shingen. Just not even every possession. Just give me three out of four. You give me three, three for me, one for you. All right. You can take off one possession, but give me three. Can we get defensive rebounds? Can we, can we box out? He, he likes to do the stuff that, you know, that, that, that gets on social media. He loves the behind the back passes. I, th- I think that we both agree. Jokic is one of the best, probably one of the three best passers in the NBA right now. And that's probably selling him short. Yeah. Easily go through the, go through the finals. How many like, holy crap passes did he have in the finals? How, how many of his passes in the finals were all over Twitter? There weren't very many because he just makes the simple, easy pass that creates an open look. There are many times where Shingun that passes there, but he doesn't make it. And a lot of times it's because he wants to make the great pass. So, so he, he wants to hit the home run where the single is just as good in that spot. So these are the improvements that I really need. And and I hate having to do this because I hate having to pick on the guy because I like him. But you're right. Or or, because if it's not the pass or he'll do an unnecessary pump fake and he's trying to do some of his like, you know, some of his post moves that he's got. Like there's a there's a very I I see what you're getting at. There's a very style over substance element. Let me say that again. There is a very style versus substance style over substance sort of element to Shingun's game that could stand to have some correcting if he's going to be the player that everyone or so many people either think he is or so desperately want him to be. That's a great way to put it. And so when we get into camp and we get into the start of next season, I want to see him get out of that. I want to see him get out of that mindset. Just make the simple play. Make the winning play every single time. It doesn't. The great play isn't necessarily the winning play. Just make the winning play. That's how you win games. When you make winning play after winning play after winning play, you win basketball games. The highlight plays, they're great for the highlights, but they're not necessarily winning games. So you might get that one no-look-behind-the-back pass, and it's going to go all over Twitter, but they don't show you the two that he makes and go out of bounds. So those are the that, that's the sort of stuff that he needs to essentially just eliminate. Like it, it's not you can do it every so often, but if if you are if you have an open three point shooter right there, just like right next to you, get him the ball. Just make that simple pass. And there are too many times you can go watch the video. There are too many times where he's just not even looking at that. And, and we talked about this last year. Um, during that 20 game stretch when Porter didn't play and they weren't creating any three point shots. It's not that there weren't guys there. It's just that a lot of times Shingun just wasn't making that pass. And I wrote about this at one point, I don't remember what the number was, but a very small percentage of his assists were actually three pointers. I think it was like 20% of his assists were three pointers. Like that number needed to be higher, but he's just not looking in that direction. He's looking towards the rim at that sort of a pass. So to me, of all the guys that we're going to talk about, and this will be a conversation that I'm sure we have throughout the summer once we get closer to camp, but he is this is this is going to be the most important couple months of his career because if he takes if he gets some of the bad habits out of his system, he has a chance to be that great player. But if he continues with a lot of the habits that we've seen in his first two years in the NBA, 
then he's just going to kind of be stuck in that same place. And that's just not going to be winning basketball games. And when, and if he's having to share minutes with a Brooke Lopez or a Jakob Pertl or another center who does those little things, it's going to be hard for him to get on the floor sometimes, I think. And that's the big thing. Like you want to, you want to get on the floor. You have to do all the things that contribute to winning. It's not just the great stuff. It's the little things. And Brooke Lopez has done the little things that contribute to winning because he's been a big part of a championship team. Jakob Pertl, has not won at that same level, but he has done those little things that help you win basketball games. So if those guys are consistently doing that or whoever they get, if they, if they get a center from outside the organization, if those guys are doing those little things, then you need to do those little things. Otherwise you're just not going to play. All right. So you were at Toyota center earlier in the week when the Rockets introduced both Amon Thompson and Cam Whitmore. So I want to ask you about that experience, what it was like interacting with the key figures from that. Amon Thompson will start with. Um, and, and, and let's let's do it like this. What, what were some of your key takeaways from the moment and also just kind of overall big picture? How do you see his fit and expectations? I know we're talking about this without knowing exactly what they've done in free agency yet. So so bear with me there on the question. But just sort of generally speaking, now now that he's here. Now that you've gotten a chance to to hear him speak and to hear the you know Rockets leadership speak, what do you think about all of those things, both fit, expectation, and then of course what stood out to you from you know just from the introduction, if anything at all? I guess what stood out the most from the introduction is that none of the guys know how to say Rafael Stone's name. Yeah, I saw you tweet about that. Yeah, so that, I saw might, you tweet about that. You probably learn how to say the GM's name, but you know that's that. Hell, the, the TV people were having trouble with it the first year, yeah. so he's not the only one. Well, um, and, and I wonder if Rafael's going to correct them either. You know, like if if they like, how do they cut it? And you know, they're young enough. Do they call him Mr. Stone? I, I don't know how. I mean, they they called him they called him Raphael during the press conference. So I'm guessing to his face they were calling him Raphael. I, I don't know. Raphael, uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't think they're doing. I don't think they're doing Mr. Stone. Got to uh, learn the boss's name, I suppose. Yeah, I, I didn't. Gain, I didn't gain a ton just from the press conference because that sort of it, it's such a it's, it's basically like a celebratory press conference because you have yeah. these two guys who have worked to get somewhere there, you know, for their you know their very young lives, and they've accomplished it's a great accomplishment to get drafted by an NBA team because very few guys actually do. There are a lot of guys who play, who play basketball from a very young age, you know, to college and very few of them actually get drafted by an NBA team. So it's an incredible accomplishment. So you're, you're happy to, it's fun to kind of see the families there and, you know, every, you know, um, Amon Thompson's brother was there. Uh, they, the, the Rockets and Pistons kind of, you know, staggered when they, that's why the Rockets did theirs on Monday instead of Friday, uh, because the Pistons introduced Asar on Friday. So Amin could be there. And so that allowed Asar, uh, Asur, uh, to be at the Rockets press conference on, on, uh, on Monday. And I think he probably talked to the media more than his brother did uh, for his own team. So that was, that was interesting. It looked like he just wanted to get out of there. Um, probably yeah. It's it's like it's it's funny the things that fascinate media though right because like we are I, I think there's a, a a section of media especially like some of the TV people and even now I would say writers that that will flock to family because that's just more sources and that and that's good it's a good way to beef up whatever story that you're doing it's it's a solid thing to do but then you've got one that looks exactly like the guy that you're bringing in it's it's a, and he yeah, got picked. yeah he, right yeah it's fascinating spot yeah it's it's something that you don't see very often. I, I don't know if Marcus Morris, 
you know, if if the Rockets and Suns kind of did the same thing when when they got both got drafted in uh, 2011, I don't think they did. But you know, it's again, it, it's something that you're not going to see every day. So that that was that was a cool moment. Uh, I, I guess the one thing that I got most though out of that press conference, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, was Ime Udoka basically saying that minutes are not guaranteed for anybody. Like you're going to actually have to earn minutes with this group. And I, I think that when you look back at the last couple of years. Um, they basically gifted minutes to the draft picks. And part of that is that they just didn't have anybody else to play. Um, now, you do wonder, when you look back on it, did they make, do they feel like they made a mistake by just kind of shoving John Wall off to the side and just giving minutes to the other two guards? I think that becomes an interesting question at this point. But hey, that's for another day. Um, but now that they have more options, I do wonder... You know, I'm I, again. I'm. I'm. We we talked about this before the draft. I, I don't have big expectations for either player this season because they will have other guys. Um, Amen Thompson. If if they sign a point guard and they have Kevin Porter Jr. on the roster, just not going to be a lot of minutes for him in year one, and I don't think that's a bad thing. And for Cam Whitmore, you know, he's a he's a very raw. Type, both of them are very raw prospects. Um, you have a men Thompson played in, you know, the overtime elite for a couple of years. It's a whole new level of basketball. Now uh, Cam Whitmore playing in the big East is, is in a whole new level of basketball. So I don't think that there should be a rush to get these guys on the floor and playing big minutes. The thing is, what are they doing in practice? How are they working on their games in the gym? So uh, to me, I don't think that you should expect like huge expectations for either player uh, in year one. All right. Well, that's fair. That's fair. And, and so we can we can take that to to Cam Whitmore as well. Let's and, and the idea it was the same question, fit and expectations. But let's let's do this question instead because we did the draft show live together when these guys got picked, and so we talked about this already at the time. But let's let's just revisit it now because that's really more so the story with Cam Whitmore is the slide, kind of a two part angle there of both the slide of cam whitmore but then also the steel element of the you know the rockets getting this you know top five to seven talent in the draft at 20. what do you make of all of that uh you know the the reasons why cam whitmore may have slid and we've just discussed some of them already again live but now that we've had a week to digest it all what do you make of both his slide and the rockets being able to get him and how they feel about the medicals and sort of just this opportunity to get a talent like that at number 20. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what to make of the slide. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know the inner workings of Villanova. I, I don't know that program at all. Um, I, I read something earlier today. I don't know who wrote it and I apologize to whoever wrote it, but kind of talking about how, you know, the Rockets have Ed Pinkney on their scouting staff. Yep, and- I saw that same thing. Yep. Yep. He knows that Villanova program very well. I don't read a whole lot into that because at 20, who cares? You know what I mean? It's like, I think that if, if there are some, some red flags, either on the injury front or the character front, you're going to pay attention to that at four. But once you get to 20, you kind of let that go a little bit. So I I don't read in a whole lot of the, the, the Ed Pinkney aspect of this. Um, They said, Rafael Stone said this on draft night. Um, He, he took a physical for everybody at the combine in Chicago and the physical came back clean and I think you go around the league. I think a lot of people say that the Rockets are very conservative when it comes to the physicals. And, you know, they will sometimes 
you know, be very careful with players and taking guys who might be of an injury risk. And I would like to know, and this is kind of a question, you know, maybe moot down the road, like have there been guys that they have just flat out taken off their board for injury purposes, if there is. And um, the fact that they saw Cam Whitmore's medicals and were comfortable enough taking him, then obviously I think that they probably feel okay about the medicals. So I, I don't know what to make about it, uh, about the slide. Um, but the fact that they were pretty upfront saying that we saw his medicals, we saw the same physical that everybody else saw. We worked him out in Houston. We worked him out in, I think it was Santa Barbara, uh, right before the draft. And we had no issues with it. And the fact that they were saying that they were trying to trade up for him all throughout the first round after he started to fall, obviously it kind of shows you that they feel pretty good about him. They don't have the same concerns that maybe other people around the league had. Yeah, I thought it was Sam Vecini at the Athletic, but that could be wrong too. It was. It was. He was the one who had the – the uh the ed pinkney thing yeah yeah man i just i think it's cool man because you know i i definitely look like an idiot now for wanting them to draft him at four that would have been the dumbest thing that they could have done obviously if he was available to them at 20. so good job on not doing that and getting Amon thompson and the guy that i wanted you to get it for excellent job by the rockets there bad job by me but I do think it's a cool thing. I do that. They, I do think that these are players with upside. I don't think it's necessary to put super expectations on them, like you know, uh, outsized expectations on them, I should say. But I do think it's fair or cool to be curious, to be interested in, you know, how what what is the the level of readiness of these guys? How how close are they exactly? Because I mean. We know that there's going to be a learning curve. That that part goes without saying. It, it's hard making the transition from, again, we don't know a, a whole lot about overtime elite, but it, I think we can assume that it's hard to go from overtime elite to the actual NBA. And then we already know the transition from college basketball to NBA. I mean, we just saw it with Jabari Smith after having some assumptions about what that would look like, it not looking exactly like that. Like there's going to be a learning curve. But what if they just are able to tackle it sooner than you think and it's not about even about expectation it's just about hey here here are these new pieces that you have an opportunity to kind of evaluate and see how it all fits and see how it all works out so i mean i i think that that element of it is cool cam whitmore's existence on his team just because i think that he has tremendous upside is a is a lot of the reason why and, and this might be too bullish on me and this might be too outsized of an expectation like i'm saying not to do but i'm like man you add cam whitmore into the mix you know i, I want him at least on the team i want him to get minutes i want if they're going to be playing meaningful basketball this year if that's the goal i'd like him to get in on it you know i i don't really want to see him down uh with the vipers or or you know and, and if that's what his game needs then fine i understand that but if he's ready Man, let's get these guys going. Let's start, you know, let's let's start kind of getting the ball rolling on being on being a competitive basketball team again. And I think they got some really talented guys that could contribute to that. Now, with Amon Thompson, I think it's more of a, you know, it, it, it's 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 probably more of a learning curve because he plays that position that requires more thinking and more leadership and more training, and, and it, it's probably just a better idea to allow him to learn and absorb from. A veteran but hey man if they could just tell cam whitmore to just go out there and be himself hey just go out there and be a problem 
you know, because which is basically what he is. He's kind of a fr- I think was it who called him a freight train? Was it Amon Thompson who called him a freight train? I believe. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean that that's about. I, I love. By the way, love Amon the Thompson twins basketball nerdiness. Love them as uh, as you know for their basketball trivia that I've seen on social media. Their sort of energy and enthusiasm for the game and its history and all of that. Like these guys are legitimate basketball nerds on top of actually being able to play. I think that that's really cool. But I would also just co-sign Amon Thompson's analysis, his his description of Cam Whitmore, you know, a freight train, you know, an athlete, big, strong. I can't believe he's as young as he is to be as developed physically as he is. I'm like, this kid's 18, 19, whatever he is. Like he looks looks like a grown man. I say go out there. Play some script, play whatever minutes that you can get, and you know, and 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 get some experience, man. I I hate the idea of these guys just kind of sit or sitting around like it's an apprenticeship. And, and I and if there's anything that I love about the, you know, the, the the rebuild or phase one of the rebuild is that at the very least these guys did get to go out there and play and sink or swim. Yeah, but that sometimes though they say, I, you know, I, I'm kind of of the approach of. I don't really care what they do year one because first of all, they're probably going to be some guys ahead of them, but sometimes you're just not ready. And I don't think there's one, I don't think there's one way to do it. You know what I mean? I don't think there's like one way to develop somebody because um, if you're not ready, then sometimes you get into some bad habits. Sometimes it just completely just ruins your confidence. And so you can kind of, you know, it doesn't always work out by playing, you know, right away. So, um, if they go and sign a point guard, then I don't think there's going to be a lot of minutes for Edmund Thompson early on. Um, just you look at the way the roster is set up now, Cam Whitmore is behind a bunch of guys. Yeah. And also, he, he's the 20th, you know, as talented as he is, he's still the 20th pick in the draft. So we've seen just because you're a first round pick, it doesn't mean that you're just going to get minutes right away. Like you have to kind of, you have to, like I said, you have to earn those minutes. Yeah. So that's the big thing is like if they, if they are ready to play, then they'll play. But if yeah. they're not ready to play, then they're gonna, you know, sit on the bench. It looks like, and and again, it does. If if a men Thompson is getting DNP CDs for the first month of his NBA career, that's okay. It does not mean he's a bust. It does not mean he will be a bust. It just means that he's not ready right now, and there are other guys ahead of him. And that's how it should be. Like you should be trying to win games, and if you're trying to win games, it means that you should have your best players on the floor. If that means the fourth pick in the draft is not on the floor that's okay it's it's not the end of the world and that's what i would like pause people with like hey just let everything just just let you know let it all come naturally i guess is the best way to put it yeah i i think it's a a smart and wise approach to temper expectations and to have patience with young players especially i think especially though in this case where in Amon thompson's case we fully expect them to pursue a player that could be ahead of him right we expect them to pursue and sign a guy now it'll be curious if you look up and you know it's kevin porter jr's their best option at point guard and then Amon thompson sitting there and they haven't really done anything to significantly upgrade the position beyond just drafting Amon thompson i think that presents presents an interesting just dynamic and question but if they do the thing that we expect them to do, which is go out and get a guy that's more naturally suited to play point guard, 
maybe allow Kevin Porter Jr. to play on the wing more, maybe allow him to lead the second team uh, or, you know, the second unit a little bit more. And Amon Thompson is just kind of watching. I think you can deal with that. I think you can live with that. And then with Cam Whitmore, we already see where it exists, the positional redundancy that we've already talked about. But my point is more so if, like, if they play their way into it. And I think that's what you said as well. Like, I, I like that the, that there's no pressure because of the things I just mentioned, that they're probably going to have a guy playing in front of Amon Thompson. And because they already have guys playing in front of Cam Whitmore, there's no pressure for those guys to play ahead of those guys because they're, I mean, they're already behind them, but if they reveal themselves and if they show themselves to, to be ready early, I think that that's, you know, that that's a really cool thing. The trouble is if you get into the thing that you cautioned, folks are doing and that's having the outsized expectations or wanting to draw conclusions way too soon and, and that's probably the worst thing that we do in this business and probably just as a maybe not in this business but just maybe as a people as a whole like as a society rushing to judgment drawing conclusions way too early or feeling the need to have a definitive opinion on something before it's actually time to have a, a definitive opinion on something so so we'll see we will have, uh, you know, plenty of time to look at how this thing is developing. Uh, summer League's coming up soon. What's our schedule looking like? We've got free agency, obviously, starting now, and then we're a week away from Summer League. So we'll get a chance to see how these guys are developing early. And, and yeah, man, I, I think that – I think at, at the very least we've got a lot more clarity. Uh, and that, that probably goes without saying, but it, I would say it feels good to have a lot more clarity on the Rockets offseason than the last time that you and I spoke. And we will have even more 24 hours from now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so with that, I would say stay tuned, because who knows at this point? I mean, we do this thing, the H-Town Hoops podcast once a week, but who knows when we might pop up here, depending on what happens. I mean, we, we might get together at any point, so make sure you're following us. You see it there at Brandon K. Scott, at Adam Spillane, at Sports Radio 610. Of course, you should be subscribe you should be rating you should be reviewing you should be telling your friends and all the people that you know about the podcast of course uh checking us out at sports radio 610 on youtube as well, uh, well let, me throw in a, let me throw in a plug real quick i'll be yeah. on uh kprc plus tomorrow on so friday during free agency like from 6 30 to 8 with uh chancellor johnson ari alexander kelly eco and uh and jackson gatlin so we'll be reacting live uh, to whatever happens at the uh, really right at the outset of free agency. So uh, the way that always works, it comes in quick and there's, there's a lot of news that breaks right at the be Oh, somehow, you know, they, they lift the, the non-tampering period and then all these contracts get, you know, signed. Yeah. I don't know how they do it. I, I got to give these lawyers credit for like, you know, getting the contracts done and written out and negotiated just boom, right. As soon as the clock hits midnight. Yeah, that, that's why they pay them the big bucks, because they're able to just make those deals happen without doing any kind of tampering or talking ahead of time, any kind of planning or anything, nothing. They just make it happen. That, that, that's really cool. But, but give them, give them, so it's KPRC on Friday. Give them the time again, Adam. KPRC plus from 6.30 to 8. It'll be me uh, with Ari Alexander, Chancellor Johnson, Kelly Eco, and Jackson Gatlin. That is a who's who of sports media and all-star lineup. I can speak to that personally because I know all the guys. So make sure that y'all are checking that out. And again, subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend. Tell a friend. This is the H Town Who's podcast. Y'all be good.